Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Today we have a conversation with a friend, Ed Rosa. That's me. Hi. My filmmaking partner and I have a YouTube channel, Toothless Richard Productions, where you can see a number of our short films. look at 1976 we'll be covering rocky the enforcer the bad news bears the killing of a chinese bookie obsession and king kong Thinking back to your childhood, I'm guessing at some point, aside from your sibs, you had a best friend. And I'm thinking about my very first best friend when I think about baseball and youth sports. So the Bad News Bears overlaps with that because I began following this boy around to his games and practices in the early 1980s. And I'm also aware that I haven't seen the whole movie through until we agreed to do it, which is why I suggest we we go after this. What sticks out in this movie as the memorable parts of it, the rough kid... Who's the ringer, the super athlete, Kelly? Jackie O'Haley. The girl. And then the scene when the opposite coach beats his boy right. on the pitcher's mound. And while all three of those elements are present in the movie, they're much less important to the overall movie once you see it complete first to last. Right. What's your experience with the Bad News Bears? Maybe 20 years ago or so, when we had a, in our little town here, we had a, a really nice video store that used to have. A lot. It wasn't like going to, you know, Video Depot or, or Video Library or Blockbuster where you were stuck just getting the, the major stuff. They seemed to have a pretty well curated selection of films by somebody who obviously was a, was a film fan. Partially because of this video store and an influential friend I had, I made the conscious decision that I wanted to expand my cinematic horizons. That there was a number of important films that I felt I needed to see. So what I did was I wrote the names down all on little slips of paper and I put them in like a little Star Wars lunchbox <laughs> and I would just draw at random before going down to movie club and uh, would rent whatever it was that had come up that I'd picked out and uh, I had pulled Bad News Bears one time because I knew it was a, a film of some significance and that was the first time I saw it so I was probably you know late teens maybe early 20s when I saw it the first time I, I felt the connection to my youth with it, but I couldn't tell if it's because I had seen it before or if it's because this film is so very much of its time. Right. I did try team sports as a kid, wasn't very good at them. Uh, and so I, you know, I never had the baseball experience that these kids had. I can recall going to birthday parties where the father of the boy sponsoring the party would have us go play baseball as like a little activity. Right. Hot dogs, coke, go play some baseball, yeah. have some cake, presents, and go home. And I can remember that that dad at one of these parties in particular, it's okay, Garrett, you can have extra pitches. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't make contact. And right. It was a whole thing. And just realizing this is, for whatever reason, my coordination, whatever I've got, it didn't happen until later in life. Right. And by then I was poisoned against this sport because it seemed to require something that I just didn't have. Yeah. Now, the movie itself, it is the story of a former minor leaguer 
who's played by Walter Matthau. That's our lead, Mr. Buttermaker. And he's kind of a mess. He's a broken-down drunk, smokes, and he cleans pools for a living. Yeah. He's been bribed by a man of the city council in Los Angeles to coach an expansion team of the youth franchise of boys' sports, Little League. And he's got a bunch of misfits. None of these kids are any good. None right. of them are coordinated. They don't really know how to play, and they don't really want to, but he's forced to do it because he needs the paycheck. He's like Wheaties in Bless the Beast and Children. <laughs> he is! He's got the bedwetters. For in this world they have no boys. He's been bribed to do it, and he eventually grows a conscience, starts to recruit other young people, including this girl he has a relationship with, a Wurlitzer, and a boy who's a ne'er-do-well, Kelly, and eventually they become a competitive team, and they ultimately end up in the championship game that they lose. End of movie. But this, paired with Rocky, which of course comes out later in the year, your birth year, Ed, back yes. to 76. Yes. These are the movies about sports teams that fail. People who can't accomplish their goal. Non-champions, who our society has remembered as a great lesson. I really enjoy this film. It isn't about baseball. It's sort of about, you know, interpersonal relationships and, and you know, sort of believing in yourself and kind of that there's value to things in life that maybe the majority of people won't agree with or acknowledge, but it's still there nonetheless. You mentioned that it's not really about baseball, and you're 100% right. Yeah. In other circumstances, I share with people the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson story. Right. And I ask often, is this a movie that can be generalized for a mass audience? And some people are like, oh yeah, because they recognize it's not strictly about baseball. Right. That's the surface, but it's really about deeper themes, about uh, interpersonal relationships, society, and so on. But there is this hardcore group of people who can't get past the surface sheen. I don't like baseball. A movie about baseball is not for everybody, right. because it's not for me. This is stupid. Yeah. This man, this Walter Matthau guy, constantly, he's got his cigarellos for the first yeah, half of the movie. black and mild. <laughs> he's, he's working his way through six-pack after six-pack of yeah. Budweiser before he switches off to Coors. Yeah. It's very notable. At, at one point, he's drinking Tall Boys of Schlitz. <laughs> with, I mean, he means business. I mean, that's malt liquor. That's not beer. Like, he's getting he's, after it, this yeah, guy. Yeah, absolutely. And he's drinking in the dugout. Everywhere, he's drinking constantly. Yeah. And he's the father figure that every one of these children lack. We know this overtly through this girl played by Tatum O'Neill when she was a girl. Wurlitzer, Amanda Wurlitzer. We know that she doesn't have a father. We know that Amanda's mother once dated our guy Buttermaker and it didn't work out. But he has this relationship with her, which a couple of times he embraces her and kisses her. And it's got this weird chicken hawk kind of feel to it. That might be me over reading it, but it feels... I, I think, you know what? I think it is. I think it's just... It's the time we live in now. That we're everyone, worried about these everyone things. Everyone is, is so like highly attuned to these kind of things. Once again, the film being of its time, I think that that wouldn't have meant anything more than what it was in 1976. But now... It can mean so much more. Society seems so hyper-focused on like child predators. It's almost impossible to not kind of see that element in it because you couldn't sit even if you didn't you couldn't sit in a room with people and watch this and not have somebody bring that up that's right and here i am bringing it up with you yeah. because i did see those symptoms on the other hand the best rapport of any two characters in the movie are those two characters absolutely he yeah. does deeply care for her she deeply cares for him 
he wants to be the father figure that she needs because he knows that she can walk a path that's not good for a young person mm -hmm. who's developing himself as the example of what can happen when you have dashed hopes and you lose ambition. And for her, she recognizes that he's a lonely crust. But he's that formation of adult manhood for every person on the team. All the other boys also have screwed up parent figures. So when you think about the movie as baseball, that's not the half of it. It's better, the story, about latchkey children, especially yeah. boys, who don't have a useful male in their life. And often he's not a useful male. But eventually he becomes one. Even though he's as competitive as the other adults are about wanting to win, wanting to win, mm -hmm. wanting to win, eventually that point of view softens a bit and he becomes more family organized because these children are his kids. Yeah. Yeah. The alcoholic loser is the only <laughs> one who can see that like these kids have value beyond their ability to swing a bat or throw a ball. He doesn't just treat them as like a means to an end, like Vic Morrow's character, who's the, the coach of the, the, of the Yankees, Yankees yeah. the, the Denny's Yankees. I guess that's part of why this movie resonates with people. I mentioned earlier that you know there was this this boy love thing with my first best friend, and then seeing this movie in excerpts across the years, and there also was this circulating group of slightly older kids in my general neighborhood. And for a while, I was kind of a mascot, that little boy down the way they would kind of cheer on or let right. be part of their activities. I was that kid until we all aged out of that relationship. Yeah, they were the right age to see this movie in first release, which I'm thinking was probably aimed at at kids. 10 to 18. Mm -hmm. So I can remember there being references to this. But you mentioned earlier that this movie is of its time. Symptoms of that. The haircuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the big boat-sized cars. Yeah, the fashions. Totally. All of that stuff is always satisfying when we go back to the 70s mm -hmm. to this guy. But also the casual quality of accepting the overt alcoholism of our lead. Oh, yeah. I, I loved it. I don't know what's better or worse. And I try not to be like, you know, the... Grand, Grandpa Torino, get off my lawn type as I <laughs> as I age. So I'm always like I, I I'm always hesitant to like ah things were better back then yeah to fall into that kind of that 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 mode of thinking. But at the same time, that that was one of the little notes I wrote down. It's like how, how many just like little pieces of like minutia in this film are things that would be like anathema to people today. There's only one scene in the film where I even at attention is really drawn to the fact that he drinks a lot and that's what he passes out on the pitcher's mound right and then the kids are just like you know let's keep practicing well, there's, like, oh, there's one other moment where it's it's pretty sharply drawn because there's this loudmouth boy on the team tanner yeah this little blonde kid he's he's toothy and he's undersized real yeah. napoleon complex this kid he's kind of a hot mess and he's always wanting to have a fight and he would lose his job now for espousing those racist viewpoints. You keep playing like this, we'll be the laughing stock of the league. Well, what do you expect that we got on this team is a bunch of juice, spicks, niggers, pansies, and a booger-eating moron. And that scene, when uh, when Buttermaker, he, he passes out on the pitcher's mound during a practice, later on, I think it's after their first game, he realizes he's out of step with these boys who are deeply sad because they really cannot compete in right. this league. They have no skills. And he tries to rally them, and well, Tanner says, Look, you cry. Just get back to you, beer. These children are fully aware of what this man, who they want to admire but don't, is actually committed to. It's very good, because kids are not dumb. They're ignorant. It doesn't mean that our boy turns around and gives up the drink. 
It just means he realizes he's got to cope a bit better yeah. and become a little more open to these boys and give them something, which is the reason why he was hired, his skills to promote baseball. He also realizes partway through that he was just a shill. He was paid off by the city council member father to start the team, but then they want to just quit and let it wash out so that the city council member's son would know what it tastes like to feel failure right. and stop bellyaching about how he wants to be on a team. Right. But, of course, these mismatched parts, they, screw it, we're going to learn one thing here, and that is to put up with our own failings and complete a task. That's what I call Hollywood magic. Yeah. <laughs> because so few people in life actually possess the ability yeah. to, to do that. Well, the reason why this is great is both a baseball story and then a societal symbol or a metaphor for how society works is that it allows the superficial aspects of sport to be the way to negotiate things, these things in an artificial way that real life seldom offers. And so that's a convenience. As you say, it's Hollywood, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the other part Movie magic. of how this works, and yeah, you know, we've drawn our attention to some of the fashion, the, the textures that people are wearing, all the oddness, which is kind of ridiculously cool to you and I. Yeah. I know when the movie was released, it was partly marketed as, this is a showcase of how real children behave. Yeah. And I think that's kind of correct. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I found it to be totally accurate uh, to how, I mean, kids are assholes. And, and, and they're, they're potty mouthed. Right. And they, but I mean, and they learn it from their, uh, the adults in their lives who are also assholes. Parenthetically, I spent my fifth grade year, and by that point I was a very obese boy had no athletic talents. And me and the other obese kid, we found a bomb. We became besties. You right. know? And we would hang out all fifth grade during every recess and lunch break just conjugating fuck. Right. That's all we did. How right. can we use fuck as a noun, as a verb? Fucking, oh, yeah. that's a good adjective. Yeah. And that's all we did all year long. That's exactly the age of these kids. And uh, and so that strikes me as perfectly resonant when they sound off a bit and use those foul words or they shove each other around because they're establishing kind of a pecking order of dominance. Right. They themselves understand who the nerd is because that kid's defined. They know who the dummy is because that kid's defined. They knew the two immigrant kids who don't speak English because that's defined. They know that there's the black kid who admires Hank Aaron. He knows about being involved with Islam. And they don't make fun of him on all of those things, which I thought was interesting. I thought there were going to be a lot of low jokes right. about the black kid who wants to play ball but doesn't seem to understand which way is up. But no, that wasn't what was happening. Right. In other words, the movie is pretty fairly minded about realizing children like the adults who assembled this movie see differences among people, and they can be remarked on. Yeah. And that's not offensive on its face when there's a peer group thing that's happening and you have to form a team. Again, the artificiality of sport. Another method that does this in movies is, is a war movie. you got to build the squad yeah. to go assault the bad guys and win the war, right. right, or whatever it might be. Same thing. Buttermaker agrees he'll come back next season and coach them all over again, right. even though they've lost. Right. What a weird message. There are narrative elements that we watch and respond to, but then something else will happen in the very same narrative that doesn't make sense. A clear example in this movie there's a point late in the season when Amanda's arm, she's the great pitcher. Yeah. And, you know, Tatum when he was going to be able to throw a ball super well. Yeah. Like they have a point-of-view camera right behind her on the mound. And, man, that girl's zinging it. Yeah. It's clear that playing the game has worn down her arm. She's icing it. She's in trouble. She needs backup. And she also is trying to figure out how to make this man, Buttermaker, be the father figure she really does want. She's hooked him up with her mother for a second round of dates. Right. Look, Amanda, you're a terrific kid. You shouldn't be hanging around with me. I mean, I'm an old, broken-down, third-rate ball player. I like to drink too much. I like to smoke my cigars without anybody bothering me, including you. I'm happy that way. I'm a bum. No, you're not. You taught me how to pitch. You taught me how to... God damn it! Can't you get it through your thick head that I don't want your company? 
If I did, I would have looked you up two years ago. I wouldn't have waited two goddamn years. She walks away crying. It cuts back to him in the dugout, and he's crying. He was so nasty to her to force each of them into tears, and there was never any conciliatory passage where they have a little bit of dialogue, and he's equally mean to all of the other boys during the game until he softens in the very last inning. So abuse meant something different in the 1970s. Now, the two coaches, they are characterized as being distinct. You, you've got this machine winner who coaches the Yankees. Right. And you've got this non-machine weirdo kind of loser guy coaching the Bears. However, each of them are verbally abusive to their team in very much the same way. So I suppose my objection, that incoherence I referred to earlier, has to do partly with they're not adequately differentiated in how they behave towards the children that they are shepherding until Vic Morrow's bad coach hits his own son, right? and then the son reacts wonderfully, purposefully blowing a play to allow a run to be scored, and then walks off the field. Right. That was that singular image that stayed with me from my youth and only seen glimpses of this movie. I think it gave me a certain kind of permission that there is odd power a child can have over their parent and over adults if that child picks the right moment to act out. Mm-hmm. Because his own son will not take being beat to the ground. That's a bridge too far in that family. And there's instruction there that that is too much. A different thing about the age that this movie is, we've discussed the cursing of the children, we've discussed the odd behavior of adults. The stream that's beneath it is the hyper-competitiveness of the adults who sponsor this little league and demand that their children win. Yeah. We do recognize that youth sports are often the way that adults who were once something are using children to dress up some of their memories of youth. Right and to capture something that they missed, either because they weren't good enough, and maybe one of their kids will be, or that they literally wish they had done their childhood differently. Yeah, and I find it to be one of the more despicable elements of, of uh, American society. I don't know if other countries have anything like that, but I, I was literally reading an article about this very subject a couple of days ago where apparently they're having a hard time finding people to referee youth sports because the parents are so abusive and combative, there's just it, it's, it's, there's all kinds of fights. There's yeah. a, and, and people are just sick of it. Well, and then there's this this one a secondary character called Cleveland, and she's played by Joyce Van Patten, and she seems to organize this literally. She's in control of things, hands out uniforms, runs the snack bar. Yeah, but she's every now and then popping off a comment that the Bears are these loser boys. Right, and I'm so glad they're loser boys. These kinds of things to help us understand that the whole system is rigged against this group of children. And so it does kind of hurt my feelings thinking back on my youth that I'm sure retrospectively I can imagine there were some Saying adults who were like, you. yeah, this was the... Cr- Look at that fat boy over there. Right, absolutely. There's no way he's going to make it on base. Throw him out. Right. So the grossness of com- competitive sports, it's not playing for fun. It's not playing to learn teamwork. It's not learning to coordinate your body. It's not learning any of the things that do end up being valuable as you grow. It's win or lose. Right. We have a privilege of individuality and personal liberty in our society. We've been raised this way, and I agree with that. I mean, that's something that I go for. But the radical part is when my sense of my identity or my value to something is in any way questioned or put back on heel, I quit. I'm, I'm out. So oh, yeah. when I'm involved with a team and there's like this team dynamic, everybody's doing it. You need to do it too. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it. Right. Just on principle, even if I agree, I can't stand it. That's the radicalizing thing. Right. The odd thing about the Bad News Bears is that they are never really asked to give up their weird edges of being individuals. Yeah. 
accidentally, all of their odd skills and mishaps both help them and hurt them, but our boy Buttermaker doesn't sand it all down. And though these children are a little bit unusual when we look at them through the lens of 2022, but this one resonated because I think a lot of children saw themselves in these kids. Yeah. That they're not always going to win. That sometimes there is the fat boy who doesn't want to run. He'd rather right. have an Abba Zabba while hiding out from the team and not running laps. That there is the Latino kid who struggles with English. That there is the black kid who clearly understands, I'm not like these kids, but I want to be with these kids. But these kids are jerks, but sometimes they're cool. All of that stuff is here. Yeah. And that's how I remember parts of youth. To roughly turn to product placement. I, I didn't know Pizza Hut was such a prominent thing in the middle 70s, but there it is. It sponsors one of the sets of jerseys. They go have dinner yeah, there. Yeah. McDonald's, of course, I've known about McDonald's my whole life, but they go there. Yeah. The point. All of these commodities, with the exception of the beer advertisements, this is the world of kids. This is what children are into. Yeah. We see the video arcade. We talk yeah. about the Rolling Stones. They talk about going to the drive-in for entertainment. Yeah. They talk about the difficulties of, of getting through the middle school day because the big kids rough you up depending on your affiliation. It's like a prison yard that way, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. this group and there's that group, and you know where you fit in or don't, partly on who's brutalizing yeah. you. Yeah, it's, it's Lord of the Flies. As you know, one of my great fascinations is discovering how these movies land in, in their circumstance. And I purposely went out kind of deep into the season that this movie was released in, which is April 76, to find out if there were other things that were kind of aimed at tweens. I didn't find a lot that was comparable. Either movies were softcore porn or, or overt pornography, <laughs> right. which is aimed at young adults, and kids would generally not be allowed because of the rating system, which we've talked about before. Right. Or it was really saccharine. Walt Disney live-action example movies that are right. meant to be moral lessons more than they are to be honest portrayals of youth. The other thing that was pitched at kids is, is just very ball genre stuff. A horror movie, your summer tentpole, that kind of hadn't been fully organized just yet. Yeah, because Jaws, Jaws was the previous year. Star Wars was still ahead of us. That schedule of summertime release, yeah. where you really roll out big fantasy things and big adventure vehicles, the ones that were rolled out, they were not aimed at kids. I guess that's my overall point. This movie, in its way, in a sense, stands alone. As an example, I can report to you that beginning in February, and this rolls up through the season, Taxi Driver and the Killing of a Chinese Bookie were, to my taste, big releases from the month of February. Right. Those are pretty big movies. Yeah, not aimed at kids. Not, not aimed at kids. <laughs> there wasn't much at March that caught my fancy, retrospectively thinking about film studies, as I do, or that was aimed at kids. We get into April, some big releases, All the President's Men, Family Plot, Alfred Hitchcock's Swan Song, and Eat My Dust, starring Ronnie Howard. Yeah. And that was aimed at kids. But All the President's Men, huge, great movie for adults. Yeah. Who's What kid wants that? Yeah. Family Plot, ah, you know, Hitchcock, blah. Yeah. We get into May, you get Grizzly, a direct... Okay. Like Jaws copy. Kids probably aren't going to be allowed to see that if you have responsible adults running the ticket counter. And then as we get into later May, Drive-In, which is kind of a... It's another youth-oriented movie, but it's not this age of youth. These are teens going to the drive-in with mishaps. June, you get silent movie. That's aimed at kids. As a kid, I grew up on Mel Brooks. My parents, for better or worse, it introduced me to Mel Brooks films when I was real young. Ed, I, my boy, here is your formula, and here's Blazing Saddles. Yeah, right. And I took to I think History of the World Part One was, <laughs> right. was the first one because I think that came out in like '81, so yeah. it was on HBO right on the time I had. Um, but I, I, in fact, he's he's really thinking back on it. He's the first 
filmmaker I was aware of that these are his movies. Yeah, he had a stamp. Right, and I actively sought out his movies. So even though so many of the jokes in History of the World Part 1, for example, really are not for kids... They also are filthy in a way that like most kids aren't actually going to get, but there's still something about the comedy that like resonates with kids. Well, they do teach you about the cultural moment. This is on my mind because I have a 10-year-old, and she's just now switching from regurgitating funny things that she hears to mm. inventing original humor, which just blows my socks off. Right. So I'm imagining Silent Movie would have been a thing that kids who saw Bad News Bears, they would have enjoyed later yeah, that summer. Yeah, absolutely. But there's not a lot in between. Later in the summer, you get Logan's Run. That would have been teenagers and young adults. Probably not 12-year-olds. Then you would get The Omen. That would scare Uh, the snot out of a certain 12-year-old, but it's worth seeing. Absolutely. That would have been teenagers, young adults. You would get The Outlaw Josie Wales with handsome Clint Eastwood. That's really more for young adults, not really for kids. Yeah. And it closed out the season, to my taste, in July with Future World. Again... That seems to have sort of the fantasy element of that tentpole movie that's not quite landed. Right. That I think kids aren't going to go for. They'll understand an out-of-control drunkard adult who's nonetheless shepherding kids who throws a beer and curses a bit, but they're not going to understand machines that murder children or adults. That's not going to be okay. Uh, Yeah, and I don't think kids are really going to get the Richard Benjamin thing until (laughs) Saturday the 14th comes out a few years later. (laughs) It takes a little while to enjoy. That's a sweetener for a little life. So... I didn't really enjoy this movie thoroughly start to last, except as a lens on thinking about how children's stories were expressed in 1970s movies, recognizing now there were not a lot of these stories. And this one is groundbreaking, I think, partly because it was self-aware enough to market. I think it's on the lobby arts. This is how kids really are. Right. And the other upside of this really does come from Tatum O'Neill. She emerges almost like she's fully formed Athena from Zeus's skull as this brilliant young performer. And while I think all the kids are uneven in this movie in terms of their ability to deliver lines and emote, there's enough impact when they do land that it's quite good. But she's a girl in a boy's sport, in a boy's league, and that's pointed out, but the boys don't get all... The rule book says there can't be a vagina-having player on the field. In a way, that's really congruent with our present moment of worrying about trans rights. There's an overlap here. Right. The boys, and actually she announces this when they're trying to recruit Kelly to the team, the super athlete boy. She says, if the kid can play, let him. play, yeah. And now, some thoughts from Ed. Dine-in Pizza Hut, what a time to be alive. Jackie O'Haley looks a little androgynous. Engelberg, classic victim mentality, nothing is his fault. Bizet would be honored. As far as I know, Carmen is sort of... It's a story about like a dude and a prostitute. This is Blockbusters and Birdwalks, a conversation between Garrett Chaffin Kirai and Ed Rosa. Boop boobity doo.